0: I don't know what my chances are of going to heaven and being with Tommy someday, but this much I do know, if there's no dogs in heaven, I want to go to hell. Welcome, I'm Rabbi Mark Gellman. Welcome to the God Squad. Today we're talking about the death of pets. And this is one of those things that many of us share You know, the God Squad podcast is about that. Things we all share that make us all the same, not the things that divide us and make us all different. Now, I know pet ownership does divide some of us. Some people have very short tempers about pets. They don't like them. They don't like the people who own them. And they are not that comfortable around them. But that's their problem. Today, I want to talk to the rest of us who have had the blessing of being unconditionally loved by a dog. In our case, we raised uh, several Labrador retrievers for the Guide Dog Foundation. You should be contributing to them because... Most people don't realize when you're sight impaired and you uh, need a guide dog, they don't charge you anything for it. They All of the costs of tr- training a, a guide dog are borne by voluntary contributions. It's a great charity. And when the dogs that we got, when they were born, or about eight weeks after they were born, when they were whelped, We would keep them for about a year and train them and then give them back. And then they would be trained by professional seeing-eye dog trainers. Yes, it was hard to give them back, but we would get another dog usually at the same day we handed them back. So the cycle of love and training continued. It was one way we learned to love so many different dogs. And if they flunked out... They came back to our house as pets. We had a dog. We trained to be a guide dog named Topper who turned out to be a cat chaser. And if you're a cat chaser, that's a definite deal breaker if you're training to be a guide dog. So Topper came back and was our pet. But the one that really reached the deepest part of my heart was a dog that was dumped on me and on Betty by our son Max when he had to live in New York City and couldn't have him anymore. His dog, from when he was in college, was a Weimaraner named Miles. Miles was an extraordinary dog and was completely bonded to me. Um, He would sleep under my desk on my feet. And there were days I just couldn't write a word until I felt the warm softness of Miles sleeping on my feet. And one day, Miles died back in 2006, and I was just totally broken up. And since I bury people a lot, it's part of my job as a rabbi, it was disorienting to me to realize that my grief was actually deeper for the death of my dog than it was for the death of some people that I had to bury. I felt a little guilty about it, and talking to other pet owners, I realized many of them shared that ambivalence. Guilt might be a little too strong a word, but how is it that I was completely broken up by the death of an animal... And the death of many people I hear about don't move me nearly as much. I think if you're a pet owner and if your pet died, you understand what I mean. And the truth of it is, the truth I learned from the death of Miles, is that grief is a measure of love for all living beings, dogs and people. Grief is a measure of love. Which means, basically, the more you love someone, the more grief you have when they die. It's just obvious. But it isn't emotionally obvious until you go through it. So, dogs love you unconditionally, and and when they die, it can just totally break you up. And I want to talk to you about that. First of all, I want to give you support for your grief. I want you to understand that your grief is holy. It is sacred, and there's nothing to be embarrassed about. You loved the dog that died unconditionally, and their passing, their death, took away that love. That's just the way it is. In Buddhism, they make this the first of the great fourfold noble truths. They call it dukkha, which means suffering. And what they mean by suffering is not that sometimes you hit your toe on the corner of the table and it hurts. No, what they mean is if you attach yourself to the things of this world then when they die or disappear or go away, you're filled with grief at their passing and suffering. And the goal of Buddhism is to remove that grief. In the West, we take a different view. We sanctify the grief. And we say, no, this is the measure of our connection to the world. And even though it hurts, it's better to be connected than it is to be alone. Now, there is a question of theology, which is embarrassing, and that's whether pets go to heaven. I forgot to ask Tommy if he would check it out if there's dogs in heaven. Because if there's no dogs in heaven, I definitely want to go to hell. And the truth of the matter is, I think there are dogs in heaven, but as I said, it isn't quite clear to Judaism or Christianity that that is so. The Bible, which clearly isn't filled with people who had pets, doesn't have a lot of things to say about dogs. Isaiah 56.10 calls dogs dumb dogs. In the Christian Testament, in 2 Peter 2.22, we read, like dogs return to their own vomit, meaning, you know, they eat their own puke. It's a gross way to say it, but if you've had a dog, you know it's true. So there isn't a lot of love for animals. That was a time thousands of years ago, let's not forget this, when there were no pet shops and no dog kibble. And and the dogs, the idea that you had enough income, that you had enough wealth to support all the people in your family plus a dog, it's just not part of that world. But it's part of our world. And it's something that needs to be sanctified. It's It's a way for us to Acknowledge that we can give ourselves completely to another living being and receive from that being, from that dog, what is absolutely, positively unconditional love. Dogs love their masters who, who, who are creeps and shouldn't be loved. People who beat them, they still love them. Now, you can break the spirit of anything, of an animal, but, but dogs have this unique capacity. Plus, having a pet gives you a way to practice selflessness. You're doing something for for a being that isn't you. So for all those reasons, I believe it's sacred, holy, and and wonderful to love a dog and and with it, to accept the fact that love is connected to grief, and when they die, you're going to be broken. When Miles died, I wrote a letter to our veterinarian, Dr. Alan Corrin, who gave of his services freely to take care of Animals that were from the Guide Dog Foundation or other dogs that were given. And and he helped so many people with their dogs. And he helped euthanize Miles. I held Miles in my arms. And he was given an injection and he died in my arms. And I cried like a baby. And afterwards I wrote Alan this letter. I hope it brings you some comfort if you're mourning the death of a pet. And perhaps you might consider if your pet just died to call a Guide Dog Foundation and be a puppy walker like we were. It helps them It helps a blind person, and it helps bring you back into the love of a dog. So this is what I wrote. Dear Alan, I could not write to you until now to thank you properly and personally for your compassion and care for Miles through his life and up to his last moments. When Miles died on the blanket, you had spread out for us in examination room number two. Miles' debilitating renal failure was a death sentence and thankfully his suffering is now over. As Miles turned cold in my arms and entered a breathless, eternal sleep, I was utterly unprepared for the flood of tears and grief that I felt at his death. Now, I can only begin to sort out my feelings, and the first feeling I need to express is a deep thankfulness for your care and love. You have cared for all the guide dogs we have raised, from puppyhood to faithful service. One of them, Topper, who flunked out of guide dog school because he was an inveterate cat chaser, now pads around the house looking for his pal Miles. I still find myself instinctively moving my feet under my desk, expecting to slip them under Miles' head. Topper is some consolation, of course, but Miles was less like a dog and more like a person in a dog suit. As you know, Miles came to us from my son Max, whose move to New York City could not accommodate Miles' need to chase rabbits and FedEx delivery guys. Alan, you know I bury people and I know that grief at the death of a pet is not the same as grief at the death of a person. But it is still grief and it is still deep and raw and shattering to our admittedly irrational expectations that we will never be separated from those we love. I tell people I counsel through their grief to try to give thanks for the pain they feel because the pain is a measure of their love. I am happy to be a mess of tears now because I was and my family was loved by Miles unconditionally and I savor this grief as the way the gift of unconditional love is painfully but properly repaid. I also understand the bewilderment and impatience of those who have never loved an animal. Many of them openly or privately harbour condescending thoughts about pet lovers, who often seem to them so willing to lavish love and attention on animals that they cannot seem to summon up for the souls of other human beings. My message to them is, Shut up, get a pet preferably a dog, and then you will understand. It's not the most compassionate idea I have ever had, but it's the truth of my soul. I attended a rally recently to stop the killing in Darfur, and I was moved and deeply saddened and angered by the inability of the so-called civilized world to stop yet another genocide in the Sudan and also in the Congo. However, I admit that I could not cry for the dead of Darfur the way I cried for miles. At first, I was really embarrassed and ashamed at the constrictions and narrowness of my grief for human beings and the lavishness of my grief for a dog. Then I slowly came to understand that the reason for the difference was the distance and the invisibility of Darfur compared with the immediate and devastating absence of Miles' head on my feet. I remember what Alexander Solzhenitsyn once wrote. What seems to us more important, more painful, and more unendurable is really not what is more important, more painful, and more unendurable, but merely... That which is closer to home, everything distant, which for all its moans and muffled cries, its ruined lives and millions of victims that does not threaten to come rolling up to our threshold today, we consider endurable and of tolerable dimensions. That's what he wrote. And it is the truth. So I hope that the cries from Sudan and Congo are not just distant but present and compelling, but I cannot and will not feel embarrassed at feeling bereft because of the death of my dog. I know. I know that they are not on the same moral level, but I remain convinced that the ability to cry for one tutors the tears for the other. Alan, I know that you help families move through the grief of the death of a pet as often as I help families move through the grief of the death of a person. I know they need my steady soul to make it through the valley of the shadow. I just wanted you to know how much I needed you and how much I love you and thank you. You were a rabbi to a rabbi, and you were the steady soul of caring For a very good dog, whom I loved more than I ever understood, until this sad, but healing moment. God bless you, Alan. Mark. I'm Rabbi Mark Gelman. Thanks for listening to The God Squad. The God Squad Podcast is a production of the Mark Gelman Institute. You know, I know the guy. And this episode was produced by Matthew Siegel at Silicon Bowery. Until next time, you can find us on Google, Apple, Spotify, and many other fine podcast locations. God bless us, one and all, including dogs.